A professor was going to speak at a military base one December, and meeting him at the airport was a young uh, military soldier named Ralph. And after Ralph met the professor at the, at the gate, he walked with him to get his bags at the uh, luggage carousel. But Ralph kept disappearing. One time he went to help a lady whose, whose suitcase had fallen open and put it back together. One time it was to lift up a couple of toddlers so they could see Santa Claus. Another time it was just to give directions. He kept disappearing and coming back, and then finally he got to the luggage carousel. And the professor says, where did you, where did you learn that? He says, what? I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, well, where did you learn to live like that? And Ralph said, I don't know. Maybe it was in Vietnam. Uh, my job was to clear the fields of the mines. And uh, I saw a lot of my friends uh, blown up before my eyes. And he says, I learned to live between the steps. When I picked up one foot and set it down, it was like I had another opportunity to make a difference in this world. Ralph learned that it was the quality of life that counts, not the quantity of life. To make every step count to make the time that we have on this earth uh, as significant as we can. Some people kind of sleep through life. They just let it happen. They don't have an intentionality about life. I want to read today about a character, uh, several people actually, uh, in the scriptures that talk to us a little bit about um, the importance of not slumbering through life. So if you uh, would look in your Bibles, Judges chapter 6, I'm going to start reading a section of uh, verses beginning at verse 11. It's about a man named Gideon. It says in Judges 6 verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizurite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Which is a bit of an oxymoron because he's hiding from the enemy, um, hoping not to get seen uh, threshing the wheat in a wine press. And Gideon said to him, Please. I'm not quite sure how to read this part, but I'm going to guess Gideon's mood because he's, he's feeling a bit oppressed. He's feeling a bit hard done by. He says, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. First of all, Gideon seems a bit bold, talking back to an angel. I'm thinking, I'd, I'd kind of like to cower on the ground and say, you know, unworthy. But Gideon is saying, yeah, right, the Lord is with us. We got these oppressors beating us down all the time. We're living in fear. They come and they steal our crops. They, they take our wine. We're always worried about what's going to happen. We're watching our backs all the time. You know, it's easy to feel a bit left out when you're under a bit of pressure. It's easy to feel like God has walked away. When things are getting rough in life, when you've, you've, you're stretched beyond, you feel like maybe things are going to break because you're just stretched so far. The truth was, though, God hadn't left them. God was waiting for them to even acknowledge he existed. 
They had moved so far away from God. That, in fact, there was no worship of God at all. They had set up a, an idol in the middle of town, and everybody came to worship the, the pagan god of Baal. <laughs> like, oh, it's kind of like this, like a teenager who keeps breaking curfew uh, every, every night and, uh, and then is mad at you for taking the car keys away. It's like, you want to have the car keys and break curfew. Well, doesn't work that way. And God's people had forsaken him, had constantly chased after other gods, and now that they're in trouble, well, the truth was God had sent the enemy to oppress them. It was part of the punishment. It was part because they had left their first covenant. It was a specific covenant with these people that God had made to be their God. And, they, and he would protect them. And he would guide them and provide for them as long as they worshipped him. They'd walked away. They wanted to keep sinning against God and have him rescue them from the punishment at the same time. How convenient. So it says in chapter 6, verse 1, let's do a little bit of the backstory here. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, he sent a prophet. He sent one of his reps to speak on his behalf, and the prophet says to them, on behalf of God, I led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Then I said to you, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. He's... He's just calling a spade a spade. He's just saying the truth. This is what's going on. You want me to help you, but you've abandoned me. I, I'm actually surprised that he talks to Gideon at all. It's like, you know what? You get what you deserve. <laughs> you, you made your bed, now you've got to lie in it. But Romans 5.8 tells us in the New Testament that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's like he, he knows we mess up. Yet still he forgives. Still he comes back to us. When we cry out to him, he acknowledges that we messed up and that he can make things right. So back to Gideon. God picks the complainer to be a commander. Watch out what you pray for because God might pick you to be part of the answer of your own prayer. So in Judges chapter 6, he tells Gideon to gather all the able-bodied men. We're going to fight the enemy. And uh, 6 verse 14, God looks upon Gideon and says, Go in your might, and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And Gideon says, Lord, with what shall I save Israel? My family is poor, and I am the least in my father's house. Does that sound familiar to you? You remember what Saul said when he was chosen to be king? <laughs> you're, you're picking me. Our tribe is the smallest of the 12, and my family is the smallest of all the families in, in, in our tribe. Why would you even talk to me about this? But that's, that's what God does, right? He, he doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our wisdom. He doesn't need our, our riches. He needs our obedience. And he, he loves to pick the smallest and the weakest because then it's, it's like the... The epitome of, of God just saying, look what I, I'm going to do. is not because of you, it's because of me. 
And so we're going to encounter here a bit of his strategy of uh, how he, he does it. In fact, the, the Israelites themselves were nobody. They were nothing. They weren't even a people. They weren't a nation. He picked a guy named Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to turn you into a nation. It's going, like, cool, but like, how does this work? Abraham has a son. He only has one son. Abraham has a grandson named Jacob who has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become these 12 tribes of Israel who become a nation. It's like God says, I'm, I'm not going to choose a nation. I'm going to make a nation. That's kind of like for us, right? He's, he's created us into a people. He's chosen us as his people in his kingdom through his son to be a people where we weren't a people, where we were not notable. But we are notable because of the God we serve. And that was what God's about to show his people. So in verse 1 of chapter 7, Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and they encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. So if you can imagine, Israel is not a large country. In fact, Israel is from like here in Vancouver to Williams Lake, tall, and only about, um, what, uh, Where's my number? 75 uh, or 135 kilometers across at the widest point. It's not, it's, it's not far. It's an hour's drive wide. You can go across the country or Williams Lake Tall. So a lot of things happen in the valley. If, you see our, if we have a map there, you can see that this valley happens to have in it uh, Mount, ne- uh, Mount Carmel, on the left, you've got Nazareth up there, the hill of Moreh in the middle where the Midianites were camped. And behind that is Mount Tabor where Jesus went up with his disciples. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. A lot like Saul camped here and fought the Philistines in the same place. This was a pretty popular valley for wars. And so 32,000 people show up. They want to fight the, uh, the, the Midianites. And God says, that's nice, great, good job. Um, too many, too many people. Uh, you're going to think that you were strong. This is it's actually a four to one ratio right now at 32,000 versus um, 135,000 Midianite soldiers. Okay, so God says to him, um, send away anyone who is faint-hearted or, in other words, is a little bit chicken. Who's <laughs> not, not one of much courage if they're worried about stuff, if they've got a family at home, maybe they want to take care of it, they just got married or whatever, just send them home. So 22,000 people left. Can you imagine? <laughs> and I think the rest of the soldiers are going, what's going on? Like, we don't even have enough to fight in the first place. You're sending 22,000 home? You know, see ya. <laughs> Say hi to my family in case I don't come back. But God looks at them and says, in verse 4, chapter 7, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. So they went from 4 to 1 ratio to 13 to 1 ratio. And then God's going to test them. And I like the fact that God is going to do the testing, not Gideon. Gideon doesn't have to be the tester. God is the one who sets the rules and the parameters for the people that he wants to use. So here's the test. He says, anyone that I tell you that will go with you, uh, they will go with you. Anyone I point out to you that they're not supposed to go with you shall not go. In verse 5, so he brought the people down to the water, 
And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps it, like getting on his hands and knees and bowing down to the water, um, set by themselves, and then anyone who kneels down to drink and brings the water up to their mouth, put them in a different place. So in the end, it says those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men, and everyone else lapped like a dog down in the water. And um, so in verse 7, the Lord says to Gideon, with these 300 men who didn't bow down into the water, I'm going to save you from the Midianites. Everyone else can go home. Okay, so um, now our odds are 4 to 1 to 13 to 1 to, um, let's see, 450 to 1 soldier. So what's going on? Those that were kneeling down into the water like a dog would drink made themselves vulnerable to the enemy. They weren't watching in case there was an attack. They could have been shot with an arrow or thrown a spear and they wouldn't have known until it was too late. Those that were kneeling, they were prepared. They were watching. They didn't want to be caught off guard. There was going to be no surprise. And those are the ones that God chose. He chose them to see a blessing. He was looking for those who were ready. Those who were prepared, who were not putting themselves in jeopardy of being surprised by the enemy. The watching ones, I'll call them, were being invited to see a miracle. They were going to see God do an amazing thing. Only 300 people were, were ready, were, were, were chosen by God to see an amazing thing that was going to happen. So the message today is talking about refocusing our life. And uh, the subtitle is uh, being distracted by life. You know, because a, a lot of times I th- I, we, are, we are giving in to the tyranny of the urgent, the, the craftiness of every crisis, the half, half-hearted devotion that we have brought on by, uh, by complacency or just flat-out spiritual laziness. We, we see what's in front of us, the water, but we're missing what's all around us at the same time. We're not actually aware of our surroundings because we're so focused on just the immediate the thing that, the, the, the shiny thing, I don't know if you have people in your life that you're having a conversation with and something distracts them, and they're off over there. It's like, wait a minute, like we're not, oh, but you know, I heard a noise. Or They're distracted by everything that comes around, and sometimes it's, it's hard to, to refocus on the important stuff and to be aware that God is actually wanting to do a miracle in our midst. So the people were, were living with, a uh, contentment of oppression. They were worshiping a false god, an idol in the middle of their town. All the while, God was standing on the sidelines saying, I want to be a part of your life. I want to be involved in your life. I want to lead you. I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. But you wouldn't have me. And now that you're kind of under the gun with these, these Midianites, you've, you've had enough. Now you're crying out to me. Well, this really shows how loving God is. It shows how patient he is with his people, how quick he is to forgive, and how quick he is to step in and help them. So those God chose uh, were those who were watching. He chose them to save his people. He wanted them to see with their own eyes how remarkable he is. But the victory was still going to depend on their obedience to his plan. And so as Commander Gideon directed them into 
performing God's plan. You can go in and read this for yourself, all that they did. It's quite remarkable. Um, they routed the enemy, and not one Israelite was killed. 300 guys against 135,000, and not one was killed of God's people. And that's how God works. When we follow his plan, when we're faithful, when we're watching and praying with him, he does miraculous things around us. So there's another moment in history that I want to bring into the picture at this point, because there was another time when men were asked to watch and pray, and that was at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was about to be betrayed by Judas, he was about to be arrested, and he, he talked to his disciples, and he asked them, won't you, won't you watch and pray? And he says this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He's saying, I'm so sad I could die. Stay here with me and watch with me. And he came back to his disciples, found them sleeping. And he says to Peter, so could you not even watch with me one hour? Watch and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the 11 disciples were too tired to pray and watch with Jesus. Their master, their, their Lord, the one that they'd given up their life to follow, had asked them to do something very specific just for him. But slumber set in, and they couldn't. Has the Holy Spirit ever asked you to stand in the gap for somebody else? To watch and pray for them in their time of need, and you never seem to find the time to do it? Or... You got too distracted by the immediate responsibilities that you had? It's easy to point fingers at the disciples, but sometimes we look at our own life and say, maybe I haven't done my part in watching and praying. I remember as a child growing up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, um, December 31st, every time uh, every, uh, the new year was coming in. We as a church would come up to the church building. We'd have, you know, food and snacks and games and stuff. But around uh, 20 minutes to midnight, we would gather in the sanctuary and have a time of prayer. We wanted to be praying in the new year. We called it a watch night service. We were watching and praying in the new year because we wanted to find out what God's agenda was for us as a church family. And it was a very meaningful time. So in the, in the coming year, as your pastor, I'm going to ask, not so much a watch night service, but I'm going to actually ask our whole church to take a, the first week in January to spend in prayer and fasting, to seek the Lord, to come before him and cry out to him and to lay our lives before him to say, God, what is it you want for my family, for my life, for our church? We're going to spend a week, and I'll explain all that to you later. But it's going to be a time of watching and praying for the Lord and his will for us. So, Matthew 27, verse 54, another situation where Jesus was actually now arrested, he was being crucified, he was on the cross, and there's this, a Roman soldier, a centurion that was sent, uh, stationed there to watch over Jesus. And I find it, I don't even know how this got into the Bible. Someone must have talked to this guy later on. Because uh, the story is, he was watching all that was happening. He saw Jesus on the cross. He felt the earthquake. He heard about the, the temple curtain being torn from top to bottom. And he looks at Jesus and he says, surely this was the Son of God. He was watchful. And he got to see God's Son 
No one else noticed because they weren't watching. They were just going about their job and their busyness. He got to see. What about the, the shepherds? They were saying they were watching their sheep at night. Another situation where because they were watching, the angels appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And, and they said, if you're quick <laughs> and you pay attention, you can go right now to Bethlehem and you can see the Messiah has been born. These, these shepherds, the least people in society, got to see the greatest person of all time because they were watchful. Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Paul is talking to the church and he says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. He's saying, watch out, there are wolves that come amongst you in sheep's clothing, but they're here to cause trouble. They're here to question the leadership. They're here to, to, to cause disputes. They're here to undermine the authority of those that are leading and guiding God's people into his presence and into his will for them. Watch out for them. And then he says, not just watch out for them, but you've got to watch out for yourself. You've got to watch that you, you, you walk the, the good walk, that you fight the good fight, that you don't get distracted, that you're not going to take a path that leads to destruction. He says in Luke 21, 34, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that that day come upon you like a, like a trap. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And he also says in Galatians 6.1, brothers, if any one of you is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. I have, I have sat in the living room of people that were caught in sin. And the, the elders of the church have come before them to confront them with the sin and to help them repent of their sin and to be reconciled. Some were caught in adultery. And um, we plead with them, turn away from this sin. And some just say, you know what? Uh, no, I like what I'm doing far too much. And we, and we leave them and the danger is falling into the same trap unless we watch out for our own selves. And let me also mention the importance of lifting up your pastors and your elders and your ministry leaders in prayer. Remember how important their role is because it says in, in Hebrews 13 and 17 that, that, that we are keeping watch over your souls. Our responsibility is to watch over your souls to, to stand beside you and to encourage you, to, to pray with you, to, to help you, to challenge you, to rebuke you sometimes, to help you enter into the kingdom of God in a way that is pleasing to him. Watch and pray, Jesus said. Watch and pray. Brothers and sisters, family of God, who are you watching for? Or who are you watching over? These passages are not just uh, cute passages to, to ponder and, and reflect on. They're actually to implement into our life in a daily way. Fathers, are you keeping watch over your children? Are you praying for them regularly that they would come to know God early in their life and avoid straying down roads that would leave them 
uh, impacted for the rest of their life. You know, I, I had a dad talk to me one time. I was meeting with him for coffee. He says, Tom, do you know why I pray for my kids every day? I said, no, tell me. He says, because if I don't, no one will. And that's never left me. Are you watching your kids to see who they're hanging out with and praying that they will make good decisions? Husbands and wives, are you keeping watch over one another? Praying that you'll be strong in the faith. Praying that that the other person would be uh, avoiding temptation. uh, Praying that they would be um, godly in their reactions and actions towards other people. That they would be ready for service. They would be filled with the Spirit of God. Are we, we watching over our spouse? Church, are you watching for the Spirit of God to be present? Are you watching for the Spirit of God to fill this place and bring revival and restoration and repentance and reconciliation for those that have strayed or sinned? So we can be fully functional as a church and and help follow what God is doing in this, this body of Christ. Are you watching for opportunities to bring people to Jesus, to share your faith, to help them understand the truth of the gospel? Are you prayerfully going through your day watching all around you for God's spontaneous invitations to join him in what he would, would like to do? Or are you slumbering through life? Are you sleeping through life? Are you not attuned at all? Do you don't have your spiritual eyes open because you're so busy with the distractions of life? Don't fall asleep. Don't slumber When your Lord and Savior asks you to watch and pray, it's because he wants to do a miraculous thing. He wants to fix that marriage. He wants to save those kids. He wants to to guide you in your vocation and your job and your business and your company. He wants to do a, a great thing amongst you, but it requires watching and praying so that you don't miss what he's trying to do. As a church, your elders are meeting regularly to watch and pray for you, for the for the community one another, that we would stay strong, that we'd be focused in our attention on God. Pray for your leadership regularly, that we would be men and women of God in this church, guiding and leading wisely and godly in all that we do. I am going to ask, dads, would you just stand up where you are? I want to say a prayer over you. I want to just bless you today on this special day, even if you're not the perfect dad, any perfect dads here? I'm just wondering, I'm just looking for, you know, I don't see any hands there. Well, welcome to the club of imperfect dads who try our best, but still you have an impact over your family. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for being an example to us in how to be patient and forgiving, strong, protective, and for being ever watchful over us, your children. Thank you for stepping into our world to show us true love. God, help these fathers to emulate you. When they feel anger welling up in them, to remember your patience. When we get too busy to connect with our wife and kids, may we remember you are always there for us in our time of need. When we are fearful and anxious about our future, may we have confidence in your strong arm and in your provisions and in your blessings. And Father, help us as fathers to take our assignment seriously, to be watching and praying for those you have placed in our care, and let us see the miraculous happen because of our diligence. I pray this in the precious name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.